You can be the world's expert on your topic. But if you can't express that in a stylistic manner of your authority, then people aren't going to take you seriously nearly to the level that you'll need to be to achieve the kind of success you want. Welcome to Aim Higher, a show designed to help us realize the leadership potential inside of all of us. I'm Skip Pritchard, CEO, author, blogger, student of success, and your host. Steve Hers is the president and founding partner of If Management. He's a premier talent agent, a career advisor. He's appeared as a contributor on CNBC, CNN, Court TV. His new book is out, Don't Take Yes for an Answer, Using Authority, Warmth, and Energy to Get Exceptional Results. Steve has one of the nation's premier talent agents, and his firm has represented a who's who of people, top journalists, media personalities, whether it be at different networks like MSNBC to Fox News to ESPN to CBS and on and on. And he's provided coaching and guidance to athletes and entrepreneurs and CEOs and leaders and business people of all types. He really launched into this book as a really it fits the study that I love, which is what is it that makes one person successful and somebody else struggle? What is the difference between mediocrity and super success? And I've jumped into this book and looking at what is Steve's perspective, because he has this unique perspective, seeing both of these things, somebody who goes off to stardom and somebody else who is in the dust. So with that, welcome, Steve, to Aim Higher. That was a very nice introduction. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Well, you've done so many things and you have a terrific book and we're going to get into some of your your thoughts. So many topics to talk with you about this book. So I don't know where this will go, but let's start here. You know, we're in a world where, and perhaps even there's a generation where constant positivity, constant positive feedback is expected, is always coming in and people are hesitant to give any negative or any negativity or criticism at all. And you argue that's not always so helpful. Why is it that too much positive feedback can limit growth and be problematic? It's because if that positive feedback crowds out constructive feedback, then there really is no room for growth. Because if you talk about this metaphorically, if you have a report card of life, so to speak, and you look down on your report card and you see all A's in every category, you think you're a 4 student. What else could you do better? It's impossible. That's the gold standard. I mean, I know now that you get a, you can even get a 5-0 in some high schools, but putting aside that for the moment, assuming 4-0 is the maximum, then there's nothing you can improve upon. And I think that's the message a lot of people are getting, both by getting these artificially inflated grades, again, true grades, and also artificially inflated feedback, not a lot of, if any, negative feedback. And so there's really nothing to improve upon. That's a danger. It is a danger, kind of this trophy society, and I'm all beaten up. And, you know, sometimes managers are told, sandwich any negative feedback, give a real positive, and then put the negative in, and then the positive, uh, instead of being open to honest, direct, candid, and real feedback, which does really promote your growth. I think you should look for it more than the other. Steve, how do you do that? So, whether it's somebody who's just you know, not liking that. I mean, nobody wants negative feedback really, but we need it. How do you encourage others to give you critical feedback? So they may be someone who just is uncomfortable with it, but you need it. So how do you encourage, might be your boss, might be somebody coaching you 
to give you the critical, maybe still kind if they can, but critical feedback to help you develop? How do you encourage that? If you have the realization that you won't get to the level you want to in life without that ongoing, constructive, sometimes critical feedback, then you will realize that if a week or a month goes by for you and you're not getting that feedback, and that turns into six months and a year and two years and three years, et cetera, then you're going to be plateauing in your life. And if you understand that you're going to be very seriously harmed by that in the long run, you're going to change your entire mindset. And so it becomes easy. And then once you communicate that to those around you, that they're not afraid of giving you feedback and not afraid of giving you something that might otherwise be critical. Think about, you know, in the sports context, this is the norm. And so once that happens, you're going to create a culture both for yourself within your own community and hopefully within your organization where this is something that everybody's not only welcoming, they're clamoring for. You know, you look at any great athlete or a lot of great ex-athletes, they continue to clamor for that feedback in whatever they do after playing sports. Yeah. Clamoring for that critical feedback that may make the very difference and having that mindset is as you're saying in this book, just vitally important to your future growth. And you also say in this book, kind of the theme that the success hinges on our ability to communicate and connect. And then you give us strategies for that. But before we get into those, why is it that connection is not more studied? Why isn't it a study in school? I mean, connection is so important and you can see throughout your book, connection is, is such a key why don't we focus on that more as a society, more in leadership training, more in school? I don't fully know the answer. I have my own theories about it after having researched this now for the past four years. I think one of the reasons it's not taught is because it's very hard to put metrics around it. If you uh, gave someone a science quiz, there's a hypothesis and there's a thesis and you can kind of verify it. There are certain you know, objective metrics around what makes for a good essay. There's grammar rules, there's spelling rules, etc. There aren't really societally spelled out rules as much for this kind of thing about what makes someone connective, what makes someone not connective, why is someone likable. These are things that haven't really gotten, I think, the hard sciences around them. But yet the data shows that regardless of whether the metrics are there or not, to the ex exactitude that we might like, the grand theory is true, that these are incredibly important qualities that will dictate your ultimate success. It is interesting to think of that, hard to put metrics around. I, I, I can see that, especially in business school or something. Like, what, how do we measure that so we can't really focus on it? Well, you know, to connect and take your career to the next level, regardless of why we don't study it, you really say we should follow three strategies, and you focus them on authority, warmth, and energy. So let's just touch on those. Authority. Can you give us an example of someone who demonstrated that kind of authority that you're talking about? Well, yeah, I, mean, I can give you a lot of examples of that. And sometimes people can confuse uh, whether... I, I, I take a very controversial example is Donald Trump, right? He, I think, won the nomination for the Republican Party over John Kasich because he had more stylistic authority. I'm not talking about substantive authority. I'm not trying to 
make any judgments for any of your listeners who love Trump or hate Trump or anywhere in between. This is just a question of this one quality of authority. And, you know, for example, how does someone dress in terms of their, um, in terms of their attire for the moment? This guy's got a suit on all the time and he's got the, the red tie and the white shirt. So there's a certain way. What's your physicality like? What's your body language like? How is your voice? How, uh, self-assured are you in your, in your speaking? Do you use a lot of filler words? What's your rate of speech? What is your inflection? What kind of eye contact are you making? These are the kinds of things that go into authority. Now, authority can be used for good. It can be used for bad. And I'm not suggesting that people don't take these qualities and use them to their, to their own you know, nefarious means. But if you want to be successful, and I'm hoping that people read this book and take this for, you know, use it for good, these are the things you need to have. Because you can be the world's expert on your topic, and you can be as competent as anyone, if not more competent than anyone. But if you can't express that in a stylistic manner of your authority, then people aren't going to take you seriously nearly to the level that you'll need to be to achieve the kind of success you want. Most definitely. I think of that IQ-EQ blend. And if you just have the expertise, but you can't passionately get something across, you are not going for it. But I love your list, too. You just rattled off dress, physicality, voice filler words, eye contact, et cetera. It's really good. How about warmth? So what are some of the ways that you can demonstrate warmth as a communicator? There are so many ways you can do it. You, you, you can do it by asking questions of someone and actually listening to them. You can do it by, when you're asking those questions, demonstrate a curiosity about them and a serious interest in what they're saying based on what you're questions are as you follow up with them. You can do it by, again, making eye contact when they're speaking. You can do it by making eye contact with them when you're speaking. You can do it in terms of your body language. If you're, talk about this in the book a little bit, if you point your feet directly at someone when you're in conversation with them, that's showing that they're the most important person in the room to you right there. And then if you point away from them, they're not. If your arms are folded while you're looking at them or talking to them, that's a closed pose. So these are the kinds of granular things I try to talk about in the book so that irrespective of your habits or you know, you're, maybe you're a shy person or you're not a shy, you're not the most warm person as you see it, you can do these little tiny things that makes you become a warmer person. Smiling is a big thing, you know, just uh, it's something I need to work on actually is, you know, just when you look at someone, when you smile at them, people feel like they're going to be more likable towards you. I see that with my 11 year old son. He smiles at everybody. He's kind of like in the best possible way. He's like a dog. When you're around him, he's <laughs> smiling all the time. You can't not smile back at him. He laughs easily. He's so joyful. And you know, a lot of people always tell me he's going to be very successful because he has this gift of joyfulness and warmth and always smiling. And you know, that's something that I think a lot of people are born with. I think he was. But even if you're not like him, and I'm certainly not, you can still get better at it. That's the point. You just rattled off again a lot of different ways that you can increase your warmth and lessons from your son. I think he should have a chapter because I think you're so right. If someone's smiling, it is so hard not to like them. It is so hard not to be pulled in. And it's funny. I don't know if you see this with your son, but it ends up pulling you into the conversation if somebody else is smiling and lifts the whole conversation of the group. Do you see that too? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You, you, you know, there, there are certain, I, talk, I think I mentioned this in the book too, you want to be uh, looking at when you're in a relationship, you know, when I say relationship, I use that term very broadly, interaction, if you will, if you will, with someone or with a group of people, 
there's a certain temperature of the tone and temperature of the situation. And you want to be the thermostat, not the thermometer. The thermostat yeah, so sets the temperature. That. The thermometer is the temperature. So, you know, I think, again, talking about my 11-year-old son, his name is Jack, by the way, he is amazing at being the thermostat in the room. If my wife and I are arguing, he'll come in and he'll say, all right, you guys, stop it right now. Just in that kind of tone, he'll smile and say, let's not talk about this. You know, and all of a sudden the mood is lifted and everything, the, the entire tenor and, and frankly, the temperature in the room is changed. I mean, he could also raise the temperature by arguing with his sister, but, you know, you get the point. <laughs> and these are the kinds of things that, you know, you can definitely practice these things. You can learn how to do them. And if you can set the temperature in the room by being the thermostat, you can be a leader. You know, people want to follow somebody who's a magnet for good. And if you can take these principles and apply them and make the room warmer or create more authority around yourself or energize people in the room, then people are going to want to listen to your ideas. And that's ultimately what this book is about. You know, whatever it is that you are trying to add to the world, whatever your job is, if you don't have people that are going along with your ideas, then you're not going to get maximum benefit from your own output. And I love that you have so many stories and, and techniques packed into this book that take things that you think are simple concepts of, oh, warmth. Of course, yeah, warmth is important, but you you make it come to life in a way that anybody, like you said, can learn to just help themselves just a little bit. The third part of that is energy. And I love that one. Talk a little bit about energy and maybe someone who does that really well. Energy is a really interesting, it's a really interesting thing. When I first started to write this book and when I first thought about energy and I have over the last 25 years, you know, being a guy who's a talent agent representing on-air broadcasters, most of all the coaching that I've done had to do with output because the clients are on television or they're on the radio and everything about what you're coaching them is about what they're putting out into the world because it's a one-way medium really. And then when I really dove into the book and I thought about how this could apply to the everyday person, I realized there was a giant blind spot in my own thinking and that our communication is not one way. This thing I call in the book, private speaking versus public speaking, what we're doing right now, we're doing private speaking, you know, small groups. And even for the most successful people who speak in front of thousands of people, 99% of your success is predicated on how well you do in terms of private speaking. And so back to the energy piece, if you think about it, it doesn't really matter as much about the energy you put out there, which is obviously important. It's more about how do you make the other person feel in the situation, in the relationship? And so I'm very careful about saying that you could be a very high energy person. So you might say, oh, that guy's got great energy, but that energy may not be working for him because his you know, freneticism, if you will, might scare people away right? You just can't wait to get away from that person. They're just too much. And then you might have someone who's low energy, or at least, you know, what we would label low energy, but you go and you meet the person, let's say it's a teacher, for example, and you're, you're uh, in like office hours with the teacher and you're having a problem with a math problem, whatever it is. And the teacher's just sitting there so attentive to you and focused and listening and asking good questions and helping you guide your way through that problem you're going to be spending that hour of math homework very energized, even though the other person might be a low energy person. So I'm loath to give you one example because what I'm trying to say in the book, and I really hope the reader takes this away, is 
don't think of this as a one size fits all approach. You know, if you're not a hugger, that's okay. Smile more. If you don't like smiling, might be even better today, right? Right, exactly. So if if you don't like to, um, you know, the, I I just know so many people from all walks of my life who do these things well in very different ways. Somebody could be a very attentive listener, and their warmth would be their strength. But and because they have such great warmth and such attentiveness, that in and of itself conveys a good energy about themselves. Now, of course, there are certain situations if you are getting up in front of a group of people or your primary focus of your communication in that moment is much more output than input, then you do have to be more energetic. You know, just to use another politician, because I think a lot of people know, obviously, politicians, is that Barack Obama, I think, did a very good job when he gave that speech. We're not, you know, red state America or, you know, blue state America. We're United States of America. And he, his energy was great because he used a lot of great inflection and his delivery was very unpredictable. He very much focused on changing his pitch, his pace, his cadence, his volume, and he took you on a joyride. Now, again, if you can separate that from the message, which maybe you don't like, whatever it might be, but if you can just be objective about someone's communication um, strategies, you can appreciate that, for example, that Donald Trump has a certain kind of authority or that Barack Obama has a certain kind of energy. So these are the things I think people should be looking for is that try not to let your own preconceived biases, whatever they might be, and we all have them, obfuscate for you the ability to recognize in others who do things well that you could emulate for your own life. And it would be very much uh, something that you could take that emulation and use it to great advantage for your own communication and your own persuasiveness. Steve, that is so good. And it reminds me also something else you talk about in the book is matching your audience is important too. So you, you know, for instance, you want energy, but you, you have to match it. You don't want to be overpowering and you don't want to be underwhelming, right? How do leaders, communicators, speakers, broadcasters, anybody, how do they, well, I guess harder in broadcasters, but how do you read your audience? What are some, some ways to read that audience and know that you're at the right level that you should be at? It's different depending on the situation. So it doesn't, again, have a one-size-fits-all approach to the answer to your question. So this is a really good example of probably the most challenging form of communication, what we're doing right now, because you and I are not in the same physical place. I can't read your body language. I can't see whether you're nodding or not. So I'm nodding actually right now. <laughs> that's great. Well, there you go. So putting aside this communication and hopefully at least when we're either on a Zoom call because everybody's Zooming now or we're on a uh, face-to-face communication, I think you can hopefully develop a good sense of reading the person either across the room from you or next to you, or even if you're in a room of say 10, 20, 30 people, make eye contact with one person while you're delivering your message and pause. I, this is something I say in the book, pause during your sentences and then give the other person a chance to nod back at you. Just that little nod that you get from the other person, even if they're not saying anything, that turns a monologue into a dialogue. And that is mm. a huge difference. Nobody wants to be on the receiving end of a monologue. But if you, and look, we're on both sides of this equation all the time, sometimes with the speaker, sometimes with the listener. But even as a listener, if you think about it, if someone's telling you something and you're able to like get a nod in and show them that you're listening to them and they may react somehow to that nod, 
you feel listened to even while you're the one listening to them. You understand my point? Yes. Good. I do. That's really good. And it does vary by situation and person so much. I want to read this part of your book. It's later in the book, but I want to read this section. It says, a warm person creates a warm environment around them. Warmth invites vulnerability. If you're already a manager, you do that by building a team where it's okay to admit mistakes, to take risks, and to ask questions. But you can create this kind of work environment around you, even if you're not already in a leadership or executive position. In fact, it's a great way to get noticed for those roles. You can be authoritative and nurturing. I love that because it's just a, a reminder, not only that it's not about leadership, but it's also the potential for leadership because you can create this warm environment and that being a warm person and these authorities actually then creates a warm culture. It creates a warm organization. But so much in that quote, even warmth invites vulnerability. And, and when somebody's, and I never thought of that, but when somebody's warm that way, it invites both of you to be more vulnerable. I think that's quite a powerful statement. Well, thank you. I meant it. You know, that was a, I know that Brene Brown now is talking a lot about vulnerability. And ultimately, I agree with a lot of what she's saying. And I think it's a very misused word not the way she's using it, but the way other people use it. I think people look at warmth and vulnerability and they think of it as weakness, but it's not weakness. Now, look, again, if you walk up to a total stranger and you say to them, oh God, I'm getting divorced or I lost my job or I can't deal with my kids or whatever it might be, that's not vulnerability. That's oversharing. And that's, yeah. you know, kind of, <laughs> yeah. you know, you gotta look, these things are not, again, exact sciences, but if you can open up to people and show them that you're not perfect and that you make mistakes and that you welcome them to take the risk of showing you that you're not, that they're not perfect either. And you can do it also by even vulnerability saying like sharing a little bit about your family and about your children and about, you know, whatever it is that makes you, you just to humanize yourself is I think a form of vulnerability. We're not robots. And I think if you have a culture where people are willing to open up and bring more of themselves to the world, I, I think it's a better work environment. I mean, look, that's all I could say is that's my experience in the work world. I've been luckily in the same company for 24 years now with mostly the same people. But I think we have that culture and maybe we're just very lucky. Steve, in thinking about the world that we're in, COVID-19, pandemic, we're all learning new ways to work. We're trying more video calls, more technology, all those other things. I'm rereading some parts of your book in light of COVID-19. And how in this era that we're in and, and in the future, do you think that your concepts, your AWE concepts will be altered in terms of authority? You know, I, I particularly think warmth and touch, right? Handshakes are now in question you're not in person. So you can try, but it's not the same kind of warmth. Giving somebody a hug, you know, absolutely not allowed now, right? Because you could be a carrier and spreading this virus, at least in the current moment. How do you think this will be altered in coming days with the new normal, whenever that arrives and whatever that looks like? It's a really interesting question. I mean, I don't know. It's a terrible answer, but I, I'm going to guess, okay? I have kind of a contrarian view on this. I think it's going to be 
maybe a short period of time where we don't have that. But I think human nature is going to take over. And I think people, for the most part, have a need for physical touch. And I think very quickly after we get let out of this confinement that we've all been under, I think people, as soon as they can, they're going to go back to wanting to hug. And I think there might be a reversion even you know, way to the other side that people are going to hug more when all this is over. And you know, maybe there's a vaccine, hopefully in a few months, or a treatment for it, where people don't feel that they're going to be in any imminent danger of touching each other. And maybe it'll just go completely to the other side, where we realize how important that is in terms of just human interaction and being able to you know, have some kind of physical engagement with other people. You know what I mean? Like the old yes. man hug, I, if you will. I can see that as a potential. And I think it shines a light on your optimism and is a wonderful way to end this quick session on using warmth and authority and energy in a, in a positive way. So I would tell everybody listening, learn from Jack, be the thermostat. If you want to up your likability factor, if you want to master your audience, you want to drive up your response, whether in a crowd or one-on-one, you must learn to master your authority, warmth, and energy. I highly recommend this book, Don't Take Yes for an Answer. Steve, it is full of great stories and tips for all of us to improve our results. Thank you so much for this conversation about it and for sharing your wisdom and knowledge after working with so many different personalities and people across the spectrum and helping them get to the highest level they could because we want everybody to aim higher and get to the level that they can. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Skip. Thank you very much. It's great to be here. Thanks for listening to Aim Higher with Skip Pritchard. Check out skippritchard.com for more episodes, interviews, book reviews, and leadership insights. And if you like what you hear, please rate us in iTunes. Until next time, remember, don't settle for the mediocre. Always aim higher.